So last time I preached, I was told by my wife that I was not very Colombian at all, whatever that means. As a matter of fact, she said that I was kind of dry and almost rude with you all for not greeting uh, as normally I do and for jumping straight to the message without a proper greeting. So in honor, in honor of my culture and, and my beautiful wife, uh, good morning to, to you all. <laughs> and good morning again for that one last time I missed. Man, she gave me a hard time for that. I had a lot going on in my head that day, so it was like, let's just jump straight to the point, right? So there's a lot, of, a lot going on today, as you can tell, and um, so I would like uh, for us to take advantage of the time we have here today and to listen to the Word of God before we move into communion, which we all will also be taking part of today. Uh, so as a footnote, I would like to say that today's message is based on perhaps one of the most challenging texts that I have chosen to preach ever. <laughs> I was telling Pastor Dave, like... Why did, I, why did I choose this text? Why, why am I preaching about this? I should, should have chosen something else. And he told me about two weeks ago that I was to preach today. And, and it's not like someone forced me to preach about this. I could have chosen something else. And as he told me this, I already knew what portion of the Bible I was going to use for my sermon. But to be honest with you, I kind of didn't know how to apply it for our congregation for Hope Chapel. And you'll see what I mean about uh, once we get to it. But my responsibility as a preacher is to come to the word of God, as I believe that, uh, as I was being led by the spirit to preach on this, and, but also dig deeper into it to find in it not only relevancy and application for our context, but just as important as these two to discover God's lesson for the original audience, which is what's in the Bible, but also for us today here at Hope Chapel. All of this without shying away from the message as hard as it may be. We're all called to do that, right? To share the message, even if it's hard. So with that being said, I would like to let you know that we will be reading out of 1 Corinthians 11 today uh, in the New International Version, and that's what we will have here on the screen. I hope that's what you you guys got over there. (laughs) Uh, And as usual, you, you guys can follow so we can be on the same page. There's so much we could talk about these 33 verses, and no, we are not going to read today 33 verses. Don't worry about that. But if you take the time to read this portion of the letter, you will find cultural aspects of the church in Corinth, deep theology, very deep theology as a matter of fact, gender roles, instruction for the church, controversial topics for the culture and the time, People getting drunk and even some people dying. So it's, it's full of it. It has everything. You name it. So unless we want to stay here for four hours talking about all these things, I can only address a few things today. More specifically, what it means to be fully submitted to Jesus Christ and how that affects us or how that affects our personal life and our church. That's actually will be our focus today what it means to be fully submitted to Jesus Christ, and how that affects our personal life and our church. That's why the title of my sermon today is Submission and Communion. Submission and Communion. Thank you, Brother Tim, for for doing the graphics. I don't know if you can put it there. I I do want to be honest with you. Our media team takes a a good time uh, preparing everything for us and making sure that everything's ready so there are no distractions. And yesterday when he sent it, I was like, he asked me, what do you want to, for a graphic? I was like, I'm not very picky. I, I trust you, uh, whatever. Am I picky, brother? 
Anyways, he sent me this, and I do have to tell you that, you know how sometimes you're in worship and you feel like you want to cry or you want to lift up your hands or there's something and it's the Holy Spirit touching you? I believe that there's the same thing with what we do, whether it's graphics or, or the sound and stuff. Like the Holy Spirit is moving through our lives and what we do because this is also worship. So thank you, Brother Tim, and Tim, and thank you, uh, media and sound team. I do want to encourage you, though, for you all to do your homework and take some time to read and study what the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth in context. I know sometimes we just listen to the sermon, we just go home and forget about it, but I want to encourage you to do this, to go to the letter of the Apostle Paul and, and, and read. As I believe that this text is loaded with practical aspects that could be applied to our lives but also to our relationships. And if you have questions or comments regarding my sermon today, which I'm sure some of you will, I would love to sit down with you and talk about it. This is how we also grow in the knowledge of the word of God. Amen? So I encourage you to do that. So let's read. The Apostle Paul starts by saying, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what a great way to start his message, isn't it? It makes me wonder how many of us would confidently be able to say the same thing today. Hey guys, you know, uh, if you don't know what to do, just follow my example. Watch and learn. Look at me. Follow my example. As I have learned from the best, Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, we have to admit that this is not the case. And too often we hear the phrase, do as I say, not as I. That is a phrase that I I learned here. And we have similar phrases in Spanish, and I can relate to that. Do as I say, not as I do. Let's continue to read. He says in verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Verse 3, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And allow me to pause here for a moment, because what we will read today will make no sense at all if we overlook this third verse that we just read. Or if we just take the easy route and decide to classify this verse just under a cultural view of the early, early church in Corinth, Paul starts his sentence by saying, but I want you to realize, and then, and then he goes on to his point. And it takes me to think that his next statement was a matter of struggle for the Corinthians. So Paul had to take the time to correct the church on the matter he was about to address. He started his message by praising them for remembering him in everything and for holding the traditions just as he passed them on to the church in Corinth. That's what he said. He says at the beginning there. But then he says, but, but there was one thing that the church had not realized in their theology, which I believe is the premise for Paul's message in this chapter. And it seemed that this premise was to be more important than any remembrance, religious or cultural tradition that Paul had passed on to the church so far. Paul had been speaking for 10 chapters now about important traditions that the church in Corinth was to keep. Not only cultural traditions, 
but ways of conduct that were important for the health and the good development of a Christian church. Paul had invested almost two years living with the people of Corinth, making sure that they faithfully represented Jesus Christ in the midst of a culture that completely rejected God's authority over their lives. Kind of similar to what we're living in our culture, right? So Paul takes the time to write letters to the church, commending them, instructing them, exhorting them, and answering questions to the church leaders uh, that they had regarding the Christian conduct in the church. Now, I took the time to say all of this because it is easy for us to wonder how a Middle Eastern church over 5,000 miles away from us here in Belleville, planted in the first century culture, would be relevant to us at all. Well, it seems that our brothers and sisters from the church in Corinth were struggling with something specific that I would say is also a very real struggle today. Not only in our culture, but even within the modern Christian church. Paraphrasing a bit Paul's words, he said, I think that it's amazing that you have all followed the Christian traditions that I have taught you during all these years, but you have failed to realize one thing in my instructions, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Some here already are looking at me like, don't go there, Hector. Quit it. The reality is that even if it's, if this is a controversial, controversial statement for our, our culture, this biblical and theological principle that teaches us a divine order has also become a struggle for many of us. And this was not only for the church in Corinth back in the day, this also applies for the modern church today. It is very interesting to see how it all started in the beginning when Adam and Eve failed to submit to God and to each other in the role that God had given them as a man and as a woman. Falling into the distortion that the enemy still wants us to believe regarding the principle of headship and submission in our lives. That is the one point that I would like for us to focus on this morning. Submission and authority in Christ regarding our communion. Submission and authority in Christ regarding in communion, and I'll explain in a minute what I mean with that. And I promise that I won't take longer on this matter, but I believe that Paul's teaching will serve us as a premise for the rest of the message that I will be teaching today. And I'm not going to get into the discussion of feminism or chauvinistic ideology. No, that's not what I'm talking about today. We all understand here, I hope, that man and woman are created equally, that our individual roles are a gift from God in our families, churches, and society. And by no means the word submission, as taught in the Bible, should be equal to authoritarianism, gender injustice, verbal, verbal or emotional or physical even abuse, belittling one another because of our God-given gender roles or capacities or anything that our culture has taught us about a principle that we should be learning from the Bible and not from ungodly roles that our society represents. The premise goes on with the idea of us understanding that if we struggle and fail to realize the biblical concept of submission, 
then the rest of this chapter will make no sense at all. Our best example of what Christian submission should look like is found in the Bible. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he went to the cross was, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This prayer of full submission from Jesus Christ to God the Father did not make him less God. Did you know that? In other words, the fact that he was submitting his own will to the will of the Father did not make him less equal to God in any way whatsoever. What it proved, in fact, was the willingness to follow and obey a God-established order of submission and authority in which Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, surrendered himself before God the Father, submitted himself before God the Father. In the same way, Paul tells us that man is to submit his life to Jesus Christ. And woman is to submit headship to man. And both together are to submit to each other to the Lord. Just like Jesus submitted himself to the Father. You see the order? Let me use an illustration here. And this is specifically for those that are married. So single guys and and, and gals here, just hold on for a second, okay? This message is also for you, and you'll see in a minute. So as a woman of God, you have heard and read in the Bible, the head of a woman is man. But our culture and the experience with lazy and unbiblical male role models in life have taken many women to say, I will never submit to a man in my life. Have you heard that before? Uh Uh-uh. He's not the boss of me. Or maybe, you know what? I understand this, but it's a very hard thing for me to follow. This principle, I just can't. So your actions, your words, and your attitudes demonstrate this to a certain degree. I mean, if these are our male role models to follow and to submit to, then I think I can understand this way of thought to a certain degree. And this is where feminism kicks in, you know? And it distorts the biblical principle. The biblical principle goes like this. And this is what the Bible calls us to do when we're following a correct model. Men, be godly men. Submit to Christ and make it easy for your wife to submit to you. Make it easy. Following the example of Jesus Christ. Giving yourself in love and selfless care to her. Reading the Bible and understanding actually what that means. Woman, submit to your husband. If he's doing his best to submit to Christ, follow him in love and in obedience. This is, if we are actually following the biblical model, the biblical principle. This is not to prove who's better. Not to say that you're more and I'm less. Not to impose authority on the base of violence and disrespect or as our culture is teaching us to do but on the principle of a loving submission that we'll learn from the Bible, not our culture, and the example of Jesus Christ with the Father and how to submit. Now, this is exactly the contrary of what was going on in the church of Corinth. Women unwilling to submit to men. And disregarding what Paul was teaching about loving submission. Men unwilling to act as men of God. 
unwilling to serve their wives in love and unity, therefore unwilling to submit to the biblical principle of submission to Christ. And as a result, a church that was completely permeated by a cultural worldview instead of a biblical understanding of what submission and authority should be in the love of Christ. Unfortunately, in many ways, churches nowadays have been influenced by this worldview of ungodly submission. And this is why Paul was writing to the Corinthian church on how they had failed to realize the importance of this principle within the church. And that's why he tackles this from the very beginning of his message before he goes on to talk about cultural instructions. And even before he talks about the practice of communion, which we still practice today as the church of God. He goes on and addresses the matter of what submission in Christ should look like. Now, what began as a praise from Paul on following other traditions ended up in an exhortation to follow a godly principle that was crucial to the practice of communion. And even more, the reason why they got together as a church at all. Dear Hope Chapel, the way we understand submission to Christ and to one another in our relationships directly affects the way we come together as a church in communion to worship the Lord and to honor Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that again. The way we understand submission to Christ and to one another in our relationships directly affects the way we come together as a church in communion to worship the Lord and to honor Jesus Christ. Paul was dealing here with a church that was getting together on the weekends to do communion. In other words, you know, to do church. But the culture and traditions had taken an important role in the way they had demonstrated their submission to God and to each other. Let me explain. I don't know if you, knew, if you, know, if you know this, but the city, in the city of Corinth, there was a temple dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual love and beauty. And women played an important role by dictating men's behavior, serving in the temple as, or serving, you know, as prostitutes, and using their bodies as offerings to the, this goddess. The way they dressed and the way they looked was known to everyone in the city. These women shaved their heads to let people know they were the priests and the authority in this temple. Men of the time came to this temple and gave themselves to these women, submitting their bodies and their beliefs and their roles to an immoral and ungodly practice. Now, I'm not trying, I'm not going to read you verses 4 to 11, which I encourage you to do at your, your house and, and, and study what this means in the light of what we're saying today. But when Paul talks about women covering their heads, which is actually what verse 4 and 11 talks about, part of it at least, while coming to church and men acting in a certain way or another when leading the church, he was basically telling the church of Corinth the following. The way you guys are acting and submitting to each other and to God is no different from the way that the people are conducting themselves in the temple of Aphrodite. There is no difference between you guys and them. I don't know about you, but I, I feel that there's an application here for the church of our times. I know that men 
I know that women in our church are not conducting themselves in moral practices. And men are not following these sexual behaviors. And for this, I commend you, as Paul said. But we need to admit that in many ways, we have failed to apply in our lives the biblical principle of what godly submission looks like. And I'm not talking about appearances here. I'm not saying for women or men to come to church with their, hair, their heads covered or to practice, practice cultural traditions that were important for the church of Corinth back in the day. What I'm saying here is that would it be possible that in your life there are certain things that you have not submitted to God or authority, but instead you have taken a role of authority that does not correspond for you to have. And by doing so, it appears that there is no difference between the way you conduct yourself and the way the world is conducting themselves. Again, I'm talking about the biblical principle of submission to God, but also on how this reflects in the way we submit to one another and how this is reflected in our actions in our thoughts, in our theology, in our roles, in our family. In other words, what is being evident for those to see and what is evident to our God in heaven. Some people would call it the fruit that you're giving, the fruit that you're bearing. So a practical application to all of us before we finish here today. Husbands, are you submitted to God in a way that your entire life tells your wife, you can freely submit to me in love as I have completely submitted to Christ. Remember Paul's words, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So dear men, submit to Christ and to your wives also this way. Wives, are you failing to submit to your husbands because you see a lack of Christ-like character in them? Are you taking this as an excuse to adopt a non-biblical cultural mentality and attitude on what submission should look like? Submit your conduct and your attitudes to the word of God. Continue to pray for your husband and God himself will teach you how to submit to your husband in a godly and biblical way that will honor him. Even if there's a matter of lack of submission to Christ from your husband or vice versa, if applicable, the word encourages you with the following, and I think this also applies to men, but this is specifically for women here. It says, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So dear woman, do not grow weary and persevere in your submission to Christ as you learn every day to submit to your husbands in love and honor. Now, children and single people here, I said this, was, this message was also for you guys. It also applies to you. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Those of you that are going to college, you want to prosper? You want life to be good? Follow this principle. Those of you that are staying here in school, 
You want to do good in life? You want to enjoy life here on earth? Follow this principle. But the Bible also says in the same way, you, young, you, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders, to elder authority. How different that is from our culture nowadays. Young people not even caring of what adults say. Now, the problem may be also because adults are not submitting to Christ. And we're not submitting to each other. So you see the importance of the biblical principle of submission. So the matter of biblical submission goes for everyone. Men, women, married, or single. Dear church, and this part is for all of us. This is what the Bible says. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So we learn from the Bible that true submission is a matter of having a humble heart. And this attitude of humble, loving, and honoring submission is what the Lord considers necessary to accept us or reject us to accept our worship and communion before him or to reject our service and worship before him. And this is how we submit to one another in Christ. But also, out of this godlike submission and order of things, not as a way of imposing hierarchy in our lives or here in our church, but as a, a godly model, contrary to what our culture teaches, we will be approved by God and experience unity as a church. Considering each other to be more than yourself. We will be having communion in a minute now, and I want it for us to be encouraged by this word before moving on. As I said before, there's a lot of theology and study we could do out of this single chapter. But today's point was also to tie this biblical principle of submission to the unity that we profess as a church when we come together to worship God just like we are to do in a minute with our time of communion. You see, church, there can't be real unity in our corporate worship and in everything we do as a church, in our service, in our fellowship that we have here before church and after church, in communion that we're about to have in a moment, in worship time that we have, in ministry, in small groups, in our outreach program, in our gatherings, in biblical education, in everything that we do, unless there's no real submission to Jesus Christ and between the members of the church. So, what does it mean for us to submit to one another? Well, in a practical sense, it goes back to what we have been saying that we first need to submit to Jesus Christ. We first need to submit to Christ. In other words, if there's no discernment in what Jesus' sacrifice represents for each one of us individually, then everything we do and everything that is part of our church service has no meaning at all. Paul tells them on this matter the following in 1 Corinthians, and this is verse 27, um, 29 from the chapter that we've been reading, says, whoever eats the bread and, or drinks the cup of the Lord, and this is communion for us, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. 
So could we practice communion? Is it possible for us to practice communion in an unworthy manner here in our church? Absolutely. I think it's possible. And the way this happens is by failing to realize what Paul teaches us through the letter to the church of Corinth. It applies to us today, and it means that if we are to worship God and serve him in a worthy way, we need to submit our lives to Christ, understanding his sacrifice for us. That's actually what it means to discern the body and the blood of Christ. And submit one another in love by following his example as the word teaches us. Let me conclude with this, church. Let's thrive to do everything we do in our church, in our family, in our relationships, through this biblical principle of submission to God and to one another, so that our unity as a church and our worship to God is worthy before him. Let's pray. I would like to invite Rasta. Thank you for your word, Lord. May it be planted in us like a seed that gives fruit and grows to the glory of your name. Help us to apply what your word teaches us. And give us the courage, Lord, and the character of Jesus Christ that we may surrender ourselves to you and submit to your loving grace. Your loving grace teaches us that if we submit to the Father and submit to one another, then our worship will be acceptable before you, Lord. Let us come before you in communion this morning and let us examine our own hearts, Lord, as we do this. Forgive our sins, Lord. Forgive our lack of submission to you. Forgive our lack of submission to one another for not submitting to you, Lord. Please help us. Amen. We're about to take part of communion now, and I would like to invite the deacons that are helping with this matter. (laughs) But before we do, I want to encourage you to examine your heart. And if you're able to recognize a lack of submission or a lack of discernment who Jesus is, who Jesus Christ is in your life, and what he has done on that cross for you, if you do not understand what this means, then I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to forgive you, but also to be your Lord and your Savior. I would be very naive if I would think that everybody who's here is a Christian. I would love to believe that. But I want to encourage you to examine your heart. And before you take part of this, You ask for forgiveness, but also you ask the Lord to come into your heart. You know, communion is for us sinners that recognize that without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would not be able to experience the joy and the love that exists within the church communion and in the reconciliation of our lives with God the Father. So with that being said, let's remember Jesus Christ's sacrifice together as Ross leads us in worship.